Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on taking bold steps towards promise. James chapter 2, let's go to verse 14. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation this morning. Uh, My dear brothers and sisters, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? How could this kind of faith save anyone? For example, if a brother or sister in the faith is poorly clothed and hungry, and you leaving them saying, goodbye, I hope you stay warm and have plenty to eat. (laughs) But you don't provide them with a coat or even a cup of soup. What good is your faith? So then faith that doesn't involve action is phony. But someone might object and say, well, one person has faith and another has works. Go ahead then and prove to me that you have faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works as proof that I believe. You can believe all you want that there is one true God. That's wonderful, but even the demons know this and tremble with fear before him, yet they're unchanged. They remain demons. O feeble sons of Adam, Adam, do you need further evidence that faith divorced from good works is phony? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham found righteous before God because of his works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? What's amazing is this was in my heart and prepared to share today, and I was at dinner last night, and someone read this and just as a as a point of contact for them embracing and exercising their faith to change their situation and their season, this was a catalyst verse for them in that. And they shared that with me last night, and I was like, my goodness. I said, you're probably going to hear that tomorrow again because it's so powerful. Verse 22, can't you see how this action cooperated with his faith? And by his action, faith found its full expression. By his action, faith found its full expression. So in this way, the scripture was fulfilled. Because Abraham believed God, his faith was exchanged for God's righteousness or right-orderedness. Our faith will bring us into right-orderedness with the promises of God for our life. Amen? So he became known as the lover of God. So now it's clear that a person is seen as righteous in God's eyes, not merely by faith alone, but by his works. And the same is true of the prostitute named Rahab, who was found righteous in God's eyes by her works, for she received the spies into her home and helped them escape from the city by another route. For just as a human body without the spirit is a dead corpse, so faith without the expression of good works is dead." Now, I want to go somewhere today with this. I, I want to look at the life of Gideon. This just resounded to me all week about where we live so often. And I've been, I've, I've studied Gideon before and shared before. I asked Jahan yesterday, when's the last time I've talked about Gideon? Because I forget, and I don't want to talk about Gideon again too soon. You know, you guys might get overwhelmed with the story of Gideon. And she said, I can't even remember. And I said, well, your memory's a lot better than mine, so that should be safe tomorrow for me to go with Gideon again. Look at Judges chapter 6. 
Gideon is a wonderful uh, example that we can look to of not only what not to do, but then what to do if we're going to take bold steps to uh, bold and definitive steps. Then the sons, uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 1, I'll read this from New American Standard Bible. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midians would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them so they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. So here's the picture. Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. And so when Israel would, it would come time for harvest, now you understand when it's time for harvest, that means you've already done a whole lot of sowing. You've already done a whole lot of tilling. You've already done a whole lot of labor. You've already put in all of the work, and it's time to reap the harvest of your labor. And so when it was time for Israel to reap the harvest of their labor, that's when the Midianites would come in and destroy and take and steal and plunder all of their harvest. Reminds me of an old country song. Work, 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 day after day, 50 or 60, I don't remember, hour a week with 40-hour pay, right? Never adds up. Uh, our walk of faith is not supposed to be a country song. I'll just tell you all that right now. <laughs> Sometimes I think we get confused and think it's more spiritual, right? Well, I'm yet hanging on, but... Sounds like an old country song, you know. Can't ever get it to add up. I can't ever get enough. But sometimes, many times, if not all the time, when we just keep laboring and laboring and laboring, but yet never seem to be filled with harvest, yet never seem to get to partake of what should be the produce of such extravagant labor. We feel like we just go and go and go and spin our wheels and spin our wheels and we're always doing and doing good stuff maybe, but we just always feel like we're in lack. We always feel like we're just not there. We're just not partaking of what we should be partaking of. And the reason for that was Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Let's see, what did they do that was so evil? Look at verse 5. We'll continue on. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. So many Midianites and Amalekites would come together. It'd be like locusts just swarming in, taking it. Can you just imagine? You go and you... Purchase, you work so hard. To me, I can just picture, uh, 
I've never been to Ruth Chris, but I can still picture it, okay, because I hear good things about it, right? And so I can just picture, you know, working all week long, you know, and having that just splurge meal like I'm going to take $100 and blow it on a meal, right? And I just go and I get my meal and I go sit down at the table. And, man, for somebody to walk over and take that plate, they better be prepared <laughs> for a fight. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not playing around. I mean, if it's McDonald's hamburger, I might just say, go ahead, bro. But if it's my Ruth Chris filet mignon and potato that I had to buy a la carte for another $30, I'm going to probably... <laughs> Be intense about that. You know what I mean? You better be ready, you know. And so here, I mean, but just like locusts coming in, right? I mean, there's a certain amount that I'm going to do for that. But if 25 guys come in, I'm going to be like, here, take that. I'd rather go home alive, see my wife and kids again, right? And so, but they come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable. You know what that big word means? Can't count them, right? And they came into the land to devastate it. You see that? It's supposed to be a time of joyful celebration, and it ends up being a time of devastation. Has anybody been here? Has anybody walked in that? Does anybody seem like, man, when does the party start? I mean, I thought, I thought for sure this would be the year. I thought for sure this would be the time. I thought for sure this would be the season. I thought for sure when I got this box checked and this box checked and this box checked, when I got it all figured out and I got all my plans laid out and when I got all the things accomplished that I thought would bring fulfillment to my life, it would be a joyous celebration, yet you find yourself at the end of checking all your boxes in a place of absolute devastation like I mean I just knew this was it and it didn't work this relationship did not fill my cup I gave everything to it I, I did things that I never wanted to do. I went places I never wanted to go. I gave up things I never wanted to give up. I put everything on the line to purchase this amazing uh, time of fulfillment, and yet it's left me empty, and it's a place of devastation. Verse 6, so Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, now it came about when the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord on, a, on the account of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hand of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you your land." It was I who brought you out of Egypt. It was I that done this great work and brought deliverance to you. It was I that went before you and dispossessed. I like that word too, don't you? Dispossessed your land from those that tried to take it from you and made it available for you. It was me who broke their seal and put my seal and bought your property. It was me. And look at verse 10. The evil that Israel did, and I said to you, 
I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you lived, but you have not obeyed me. So this time of unfulfillment, of perpetual not partaking of harvest was a result of fearing who he told us not to fear. And the ones he told us not to fear are the ones that came and take all your stuff. Look at Haggai. Where is he going today, Haggai? You might have to look that up in your concordance. Haggai chapter 1. If you find Haggai, it shouldn't be hard to find chapter 1, though. Not like Psalms. Start in verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come even for the, house, the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Okay? So the people said, It's not time yet for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. And then the prophet says, Oh, so is it time for you to live in a nice house while the house of the Lord lies desolate? Let me just go ahead and relieve everybody. This is not going to be a church building fund sermon, okay? We're not going to call this the house of the Lord and put a guilt trip on you about what you're supposed to do to better this place. So uh, we're not going to do that, so don't worry. Don't even get, don't turn your ears off, okay? While this house lay, lies desolate, verse 5, now there, thus, blah, 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 blah. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse... With holes. Some of y'all are like, what is he talking about me for? <laughs> you know, I just, uh, that, that that says you drink, but you don't drink enough to become drunk. Some of y'all are like, I have enough to get drunk. That's the only thing that gets me through, putting stuff in my pockets with holes in them. I medicate myself with that. Well, you know, it's amazing. I was I was just kind of eyes open the other day. Some of y'all, this is probably old hat. But, you know, when Peter, on the day of Pentecost, said, These are not drunk, as you suppose, but they are filled with the Holy Ghost. Because they thought they were drunk, right? And so, and then we see in also that it says, Do not become drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. I was studying that. It literally means... Be inebriated with the Holy Spirit. 
So as much in Scripture as there is a command to not be drunk, there is a command to be drunk on the Spirit. And so when it says you drink but you never become full, I think there's many of us that are not living in a place being inebriated by the Holy Spirit. If we would get a little bit more drunk in the spirit, we wouldn't be so worried and so tossed every time some little thing happens, right? If you could just see it, we'd just be like, huh, what? Huh? What's going on? And I don't mean to mix the profane with the holy. I'm not doing that at all, but scripture makes a direct correlation about something that should stop in our life, and it should be replaced with something. Scripture is not about just stopping stuff. It's about embracing stuff and walking in newness of life. If there's ever a command to not do something, it's because that something is keeping you from the something that he wants to fill your life with. And so you drink, but you don't drink enough. You go to church, but church ain't working for you. You read all the right stuff, but it ain't bringing fulfillment. Man, I'm feeling this right now. You read all the right stuff, and you do all the right things, and you serve on all the right serve teams, and you're doing everything. But you're just not fulfilled. And you end up saying, I just can't get fed here. <laughs> You know, you put on clothing, but you're not warm. Earn wages, but you got a purse with holes in it. Thus says the Lord of hosts consider your ways, go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky is withheld. It's dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, and, the mountains, and on the mountains the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Why would the Lord put us in drought? Why would the Lord turn us over to the Midianites? If the Lord did not let us have what we fear and what we reverence and what we bow down to, we'd never know that it's not enough. And we'd never have the true fulfillment of Him. I love a book. I can't even remember the name of it now. David Platt wrote it. What's the name of that book? Radical. And in this book, he made a statement that when I first read it, I struggled with. God is a self-centered God. What? God is selfless, sacrificial, lazy. Absolutely. But if God, what, what could God be centered on? What could God be centered on? Could God be centered on us? 
Could God be centered on what you fear? Well, if you fear it, he lets you see what it would be like if he was centered on it. If you reverence it above him, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that did all this stuff. I am the Lord your God. Do not fear and reverence them. Do not play by their rules. Do not think they're going to be what brings fulfillment to you. Do not bow down to their culture. Do not take on the yoke of the world. But if we keep submitting to that, then he has to say, okay, let's see what a world centered on that looks like. He has to allow us to do that so that we can get re-centered on him because he has to be self-centered because we can never have true life unless it's by him. What else could he be centered on? All roads have to lead back to him. So sometimes he has to let us discover the roads and the dead ends that we are just hell-bent on pursuing so that we realize that all roads lead back to him. Yeah, yeah how could he be centered on anything else? Because why does he do that? He just wants us all to come to him? No, all those are dead ends. Look at this. Look at this. First uh, John 2, 15, 17. Don't set the affections of your heart on this world or on loving the things of this world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. For all that the world can offer us, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, and the obsession with status and importance, none of these things come from the Father, but from the world. This world, but here's the thing. I mean, is it just like, I don't want y'all doing other stuff. I want you looking at me. No. Here's his reason. The world and its desires are in the process of passing away. But those who love to do the will of God live forever. It's his absolute protection and love for us that causes him to be self-centered. He has to constantly do whatever it takes to get you looking back to him. Because that's the only place that's not going to leave you devastated. Because there'll be joy in it for a season. But it's always a trap. It's always the, the, the end result is death and destruction. He came to kill, to steal, and destroy your life. But he came that we have life and have it more abundantly. So sometimes he has to let us go in a place. He has to make the do stop. He has to let us be in a pig pen. I tell mamas sometimes, mamas and wives, and sometimes they're the biggest enablers to, to some, some destructive habits that men have specifically. Sometimes our baby has spent all they have on riotous living, and they're in a pig pen. And we just can't stand to see our baby in a pig pen so we send them care packages of filet mignon. <laughs> and they're in the pig pen eating on some filet mignon. And let me tell you something. As long as you send them filet mignon on a pig pen, why would they ever leave? You got to let them. You got to let them sometimes understand that, wait a minute. Said the prodigal son came to his right mind. 
said, there's nobody that'll feed me here. Now, just think, if the dad was sending filet mignon, he wouldn't have said, there's nobody that can feed me here. Sometimes we remove the leading of the Holy Spirit through withholding that provision that causes people to come to their right mind. We're just trying to help them a lot. Sometimes we are not helpful at all. Because those things that they're beginning to put their confidence in are unsustainable. And they're going to pass away. So it's best that you let them discover it now. And maybe turn to true life. And so God, a loving Father, will do that in our lives. And he'll let us sit down with our steak and potato. And he'll let somebody come in and take it from us. Because we've earned it through ways that are not pleasing to him. And we've done it not believing that he is the provider. Let me move on. Can't get too... My watch don't work. I'm sitting here looking at it. I don't know if I have time to go here today, but let's just try it since I'm drinking eternal water. John chapter 4. Let me paraphrase some of this so we can, for time, Jesus stops in Samaria and he sits on a well and there's a woman, a Samaritan woman there. And um, Jews did not uh, have contact with Samaritans, especially Samaritan women with her reputation, yet Jesus did. That should give some of y'all some insight into the heart of God and remove some guilt and shame from you and unworthiness that you believe you have. But Jesus came to her, sat at the well, and they had a discussion about drinking from the well, and him explained to her that if you drink from this well, you'll thirst again, but if you drink from the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. And so this well that she can drink from, I believe, is the same as this harvest that we can labor for in fear of the wrong things and think we've established for us something that's going to fill us. But you will thirst again and you will hunger again and it will never bring the fulfillment that you think that it will. But if we drink from him, we'll never thirst again. If we'll fear him, if we'll be centered on him, if we'll be focused on him, if we'll be, make bold moves in him, we'll never thirst again. Then the disciples, in verse 31, came back. They had went and got food. And the disciples began to insist that Jesus eat some of the food they brought back from the village, saying, Teacher, you must eat something. But Jesus told them, Don't worry about me. I have eaten a meal you don't know about. Puzzled by this, the disciples began to discuss among themselves, Did someone already bring him food? Where did he get this meal? Jesus spoke up and said, My food is to be doing the will of him who sent me and bring it to completion. Now look, if Jesus was dependent on man's system to get food, then man would always have the ability to take his food from him. If Jesus genuinely would suffer and die because of 
uh, malnutrition, if his disciples didn't bring him enough food on a regular basis, then his disciples could starve him to death. See, if he feared man's system, if he, if he reverenced man's system, if that was his source of, of nutrition and fulfillment and life-giving sustenance, then that could always, by that same system, be removed. But if you're filled with something that that system doesn't even know how it works... Huh? That system ain't even aware of it. How can that system ever interfere with your partaking of the fullness of the kingdom if it don't even understand how it works? But if we build our life around man's system, then man's system always has the ability at any point to turn your head, to work you like a puppet on a string. But if we can say, hey, what, what can you take from me? I already ate. Nan, nan, boo, boo. <laughs> 25 men come in, take my Ruth Chris filet mignon and my baked potato, and I say, that's all right, I was done with it anyways. <sighs> I just like to go out places like this for show and just pretend like I'm eating, but I really get full before I ever even show up. Come over here, let me lay hands on you. I'll, get, I'll have dessert too. <laughs> huh? I done got filled up with the, I've been talking to the waitress and the cook and the hostess, and I stopped three cars on the way here. I'm about full already. Y'all go ahead and see if that'll help y'all any. But when you get done with that, come on back, and I'll give you something that you won't have to steal again. <laughs> i give you a little bit about what I've been eating. My food is to be doing the will of him who sent me and bring it to completion. Now look at this. As the crowds emerged from the village, Jesus said to his disciples, why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Now look, this is, we kind of always just, these are two different sermons. One is about just, we don't ever really even talk about the fact that he ate. That's good, but... But, but we talk about this other sermon when we're telling everybody, y'all need to go out and evangelize more. The harvest is ready. And that's right. We do need to. But I think you've got to tie these things together. He says, I've ate what you don't know about, and I'm full to the brim, and I don't need any of y'all's Big Macs now. Y'all eat all of them. Y'all can have them, right? But I'm full. And, but then he says, I think he starts talking about the timetable. Not just about souls that are out there, because those souls that were out there is what he eats. The fulfillment of those souls here in the kingdom is how he gets fed. So he's saying, look, I'm full right now, but why are y'all saying it's going to be four months before I can eat again? I can eat right now. Watch this. I can walk right down the street and eat eight more times today. He's saying, he's addressing this whole thing about timetable. He's already addressed how we get filled up, and then he's addressing how often and how much we can partake. Not only do I got a secret of how you cannot be at the, at the, at the uh, oh shoot, at the mercy of the culture around you, but I've got a secret that tells you, you don't even have to, you don't, there is no limit to it. Look at all the people coming. Man, if I get full off of doing the work of my father, look at all these people. Woo! 
we ain't wanting to grow up here so that we can, we can look good and have more seats. I, I want to get more fuel. More people sitting here, the more opportunity I have to eat. And I'm one of them kind of guys that likes it all. It's like a buffet in here. There's only three of you here. I don't have as much potential that I can have some harvest from. Look at all these people coming. Now is harvest time. Well, I don't care if there's a cool saying for 2019. I say it's now. Now is the time. If you're tired of not eating and not drinking and holes in your pockets and never feeling, feeling, feeling full, you don't have to wait for the cliche to work out or the saying to work out. It's now. You need to realize how you get full, and you need to realize when you can get full, and that's today, and it's abundant, and it's available for you. Look at this. For their hearts are like vast fields of ripened grain, ready for a spiritual harvest. This isn't just talking about how many people we need to get saved. He's telling his disciples, he's saying, look, man, you have a life of fulfillment ahead of you. Look at all that you can partake of. You'll never be in lack. And everyone who reaps these souls for eternal life will receive a reward. And those who plant spiritual seeds and those who reap the harvest will celebrate together with great joy. And this confirms the saying, one sows the seed and another reaps the harvest. I have sent you out to a harvest field. Now look at this. We talked about not being filled when we work, 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 day after day, 60-hour week and 40-hour pay, holes in my pockets, not enough clothes, not enough food, not enough drink. But, and that's when we work hard in man's system. You can work hard in man's system and never have enough. And in God's system, you can rest and you can harvest what somebody else sowed. Look at this. One, uh, uh, where was I at? I've sent you out to a harvest field that you haven't planted, where many others have labored long and hard before you, and now you are privileged to profit from their labors and receive and reap the harvest. The reaper overtakes the sower. I don't know how we could possibly take this gospel and not make it a gospel of prosperity. I'm confused. People hate prosperity gospel. I don't know. I've tried. I don't know how to make it not prosperity. I don't know how to take the harvest is vast and it's the food that you eat and you never have to be hungry again and your cup can be running over and you'll reap what you didn't sow and the reaper overtakes the sower and you don't even have to labor. What, how do I make that something else? I don't even know how. If I could make it harder and I could make it more labor-intensive, I could probably have more committed church members or I could make them work harder or I could make them do more stuff. I don't know, but I just can't find a way to do it. I've tried. <laughs> Matthew 12, we don't have time today for this for sure, but Matthew 12, Jesus kind of has to set the Pharisees straight a little bit because he was taken of some 
grain on the Sabbath, and they were concerned about him taking the grain on the Sabbath, and he, they didn't understand that, like, that was no longer the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He was the fulfillment of the Sabbath, and, I mean, you could partake of him any day just the same. But he tried to help them, and then he went into the synagogue, and there was a man with a withered hand, and they thought he was in error because he was going to heal somebody on the Sabbath. And he said, well, wouldn't any of you guys, if you had a lamb in the ditch, you'd pull the lamb out of the ditch? Oh, yeah, but I can't heal a man. I can save a lamb, but I can't heal a man with a withered hand, and he heals the man. He wasn't much concerned with what they thought. But just again, he's just trying to define when you can get your breakthrough. In case anybody's still wondering, if you have to wait on the right day, he's saying it don't matter what day it is. We're not in days and hours and times anymore. We're in the time when the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and whenever you want to grab it, you can grab it. Whenever you want to have it, you can have it. We've brought it close to you, and it's available to you. And so he healed the man, and he stretched out his hand. 1 Peter, two, 1 Peter 1, if you'll look there with me. Were we talking about Gideon today or something? I totally forgot about old Gideon. <coughs> My son just looks at me and laughs. Thinks that's funny, don't you? Your dad's a nut, huh? This is good news. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'll read this from the Passion, starting in verse 2. You are not forgotten, for you have been chosen and destined by Father God. The Holy Spirit has set you apart to be God's holy ones, obedient followers of Jesus Christ who have been gloriously sprinkled with his blood. May God's delightful grace and peace cascade over you many times over. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Doesn't this all sound kind of meager so far, you know? You know, it's just kind of a... Kind of a lacking gospel, isn't it? It's kind of like, just want us to get by, you know. Praise the Lord, your time has come. Tie not in the rope of the kingdom and hold on. Ain't that what these words, these adjectives, extravagance, huh? Energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish. It is promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. You see the contrast of a harvest, just the language of a harvest that seems to always be fleeting and never fulfilling. See the contrast in that and what he's got for us. Never perish, never defiled, never diminish, always in abundance, preserved forever. Without that stuff, they got to put in it. What is it? You know, preservatives. But what's the, whatever. You know what I'm saying. 
I was trying to be specific. What's the bad one they put in there? MSG, yeah. You're allergic to it, amen. I think I am too. There's just one place I love to eat. I mean, and every time I eat there, I get sick, though. And I told my wife the other day, I was like, I just noticed one of their prime ingredients is MSG. Maybe I'm allergic to MSG. Anyways, you don't want to know that. Through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. May the thought of this cause you to jump for joy. Even though lately you've had to put up with the grief of many trials, but these only reveal the sterling core of your faith, which is far more valuable than gold that perishes, for even gold is refined by fire. Your authentic faith will result in even more praise, glory, and honor when Jesus, the anointed one, is revealed. You love him passionately, although you did not see him, but through believing in him, you are saturated with ecstatic joy, indescribably sublime and immersed in glory. For you are reaping the harvest of your faith, the full salvation promised you, your soul's victory. I don't have a catchy saying for 2019, but I'm just saying that. Just that, First Peter 2, I mean 1, 2 through 9. Just get some of that in 2019, okay? You come up with your own saying about it. Put it on your mirror or whatever. But determine not to live in this consistent place of lack and deficiency. And determined to make some bold, definitive steps. In Judges chapter 6, in verse 11, let's uh, just paraphrase the rest for sake of time, maybe. We might go back and read some more, who knows. Yeah, let's read some. Verse 11, Judges 6. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah. Did you know Ophrah was in the Bible? Which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite. As his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. Now, you just see... Gideon in the wine press. A wine press is a vat. It's an in-ground vat. So he's like down in the ground in a vat trying to hide. And so it's not even the way you're supposed to thresh weed. I mean, he's having to use some jacked-up system because normally you would have ox and all these things, and it would be this big deal on a threshing floor. And obviously the Midianites would know just to come right there. Right? So check this out. You fear man's system. You live most of your days in fear of their system, yet you try to partake of the harvest in hidden places. 
without really letting it be displayed in your everyday life. It doesn't work. Try to sneak away and have a little bit of God, but when predominantly you're living most of your days in fear of man and their system. And you've taken this walk of faith and you've tried to make it look completely different. You've changed the whole process and you've tried to make it your own process. You've tried to thresh wheat different than you're supposed to thresh wheat. You've tried to thresh wheat in different places than you're supposed to thresh wheat. There's not enough space to thresh wheat where you are. It, uh, you know, if you're going to partake of the harvest of the kingdom, it's got to have some room in your life. You can't tuck it away around in a two-hour session on one day a week. It ain't going to work like that. If you want to partake of the harvest of God, it's got to be the thing you fear the most. Now, in Haggai, he said, you go to your homes and all this stuff, and you have all you want while my house lays desolate. Now, we're not in the Old Testament, and he's not worried about us building his life, but he's worried about us building a place for him in our life. And if we build a place for ourselves, and we predominantly every day worry about building a place for ourselves, and we want to go recline in that place we've built for ourselves, he's going to cause the dew to stop coming. Because he knows if you don't have a larger place for him than you have for yourself, all that place for yourself is going to pass away and you're going to be left lacking. And he's concerned about you. His relationship with us is never to get anything for himself. He made that clear to Job. I'm not hungry, Job. I don't need y'all to give me bulls and lambs. I don't need anything you have to offer me. This relationship is not to benefit me. It's to benefit you. And because I love you, I'll make the do stop when you forget that. Because I love you, I won't let you prosper in those things outside of me. And you'll think somehow I've abandoned you, but I've not. You've abandoned me, and you've abandoned yourself, and you've abandoned the promise. But if you'll turn to me, I'll restore you. <clears throat> Look how we get it in our mind. So he was there in a wine press. The angel of the Lord, verse 12, appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. I love it. Gideon's corrupted the whole process, and God still just calls him who he is. See, he'll meet you where you are, but he'll call you who you really are. And so he'll let some things happen in your life, but he'll keep telling you who you really are, and he'll keep showing you what you really can be. He said, Valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, here's how we are, right? I got holes in my pocket. I never have enough. If you're with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up for Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of of Midian. 
the Lord abandoned us and gave us into the hand of Midian. He told us not to fear them, not to reverence them, not to think, give them any power over us, and we disobeyed him, but he gave us to them. Then the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to them to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Let's paraphrase verse 17 through 24. Gideon asked for a sign, told the angel he'd be right back. He went and fixed him something to eat. He brought it back. The angel said, just put it on that rock right there because, again, I don't need to eat that kind of stuff. And he stretched out his staff in his hand, and the rock produced flames and consumed the food. And Gideon's like, yeah, you, you're pretty legit. <laughs> This is pretty cool. If you can do some of that, we might be able to do this. <clears throat> Who's ready to make some bold, definitive steps? All right. Now, on the same night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull. And a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner. And take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah which you cut down. Then Gibeon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. Who ready to make some bold and definitive moves by faith? The very thing that they put their faith in, their confidence in. See, it was the gods of those people around them that the Lord said, don't take their gods. Don't take their faith. Don't begin to live by their culture. You remember where you're fed from. You remember where you came from. You remember who meets your needs. Don't begin to let your faith be conformed to the cares of the world, how they believe things happen, because that can be snatched away. And I'm just telling you, I don't want it to be snatched away. So the first thing he said, Lord, why have you forsaken us? Hey, I'm still here. Whenever you're ready to stop believing in those things and believing in me again, I'm game. Oh, you want to be free? I just pull them things down. Just pull those things down. Make some bold moves. Make some definitive statements. Put your faith back in me and not in the things of the world. So he pulls them down. I love that he actually used the wood from the Asherah pole to burn the sacrifice. Let's skip a little bit ahead more in verse 28. The men of the town come and they, they're all upset because Baal's been tore down. The Asherah pole's been cut down. What in the world happened to our gods that we worship and we're upset with God because he's abandoned us? You know, Isn't it crazy? 
And it's so us. God, I ain't thought about you in six months. I've been just striving on my own. I've been doing everything I want to do. I ain't consulted you one time. Where are you? Why have you forsaken me? <laughs> this path that I've been walking without thinking anything about you has led me to a dark place. Why'd you do that? Why do we, how do we do that? Where'd you go, God? Just right over here on the path I told you to walk with me on. I mean, like... Where'd you go? <laughs> well, Lord, I want to I be in... Well, you can't walk there and here at the same time. You're going to have to come on over here. You're going to leave that path at some point. I'm not coming over there. We want him to come over there. We want him to bless whatever we're doing. He can't do that. Why in the world would a loving God bless something that's going to end in destruction? He loves you too much to do that. I love it, though. So he tears it down. They're all upset. Who did this thing? And they find out it's Gideon. Joash, his dad, is upset. They're wanting to kill Gideon. And I love it. Joash stood against him, of course, and didn't want him to kill him. And I love this, what he said. Will you contend for Baal? I mean, he's, it was his statues, but at least he's getting some sense here, right? Will you contend for Baal, or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself. Because someone has torn down his altar. You know, the very fact that you've got to defend the little system you've been trying to live in should show you how weak it is. <laughs> These are the people, they know what happened. I mean, God swallowed up, opened the earth and swallowed people up. Pharaoh and his army followed them into the Red Sea. He closed the sea on them and drowned them. God didn't need anybody to take up for him. Over, oh, who, who cut down Bell's little thing? We're so upset. We're going to get you. Joash is like, surely if Baal's a mighty God that we're putting our confidence in more than the one that led us out of Egypt and drowned the uh, Egyptians and swallowed us up in the desert, we're going to put our confidence in him. Surely he can take care of one measly old Gideon for tearing down his statue. So weak. Let me just tell you, it may look dark, and this culture may look... Oh, so desperate, but it's weak. If you see it right, if you see it right, it can't take anything from you. It can take your life, but it can't take anything from you. This culture she can persecute us, mock us, hate us, and it's been promised that it will, but it can't touch us. Verse 32, Therefore on that day, he named him Jerubabel. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he had torn down his altar. I'm saying, is anybody ready to make such bold steps this year that you'll be the next person named the one who messed up the man's systems? <laughs> I 
Will you do something so drastic in the face of everything that's tried to define you and make you walk in this perpetual place of lack? Will you do something so bold and so drastic your name will be, hey, mess with that person over there. They're totally destroying our system. Contend with her. She's crazy. She's tearing down our altars. She's making huge strides. People, other people are changing their mind by watching them live. What's going on? Man, I want to be that one. I want to be that one. They're like, man, we got to stop him. Gideon gathers an army. He lays out a fleece twice. <laughs> I do want to address this fleece real quick. Sometimes Gideon gets a bad rap for laying out a fleece a couple of times. And I think it is funny. Sometimes we lay out 27 fleeces. Lord, if you're really speaking, you know, let this happen and let this happen and let this happen. But I got to give Gideon some cred on this. His fleece was a fleece. Really, it's not like a spiritual saying, you know. Oh, let me lay out a fleece. No, his was a fleece. <laughs> if you want to lay out a fleece, I, I, you know, when people say lay out a fleece, I'm like, yes, lay out a fleece. Literally, go out and lay out a fleece. But don't lay out, if the circumstance looks favorably for me, I'll know you're really calling me to it. At least Gideon's fleece really had nothing to do with making the situation look easier. He chose something totally separate so he wouldn't base his faith on if it looked possible. I just want to know God is speaking, not that it's going to be easy. So many times we're like, well, I don't know if God's speaking to this yet. I'm going to see if he moves in it. We're waiting on God to make everything perfect so we don't have to make any step of faith. And if he does all of that, then it's his will. No! That's not the way it works. And the reason why you're where you are and you've not been where you're supposed to be is because you keep laying out that fleece of if it looks perfect, I'll move. If there's no opposition, I believe God's speaking. Because, you know, he never let opposition come against people. You know, he never let people get thrown into the fire. He always put the fire out first. And then they would say, okay, we'll bow now. The fire's out. The Lord, we know the Lord's working for us. You want to lay out a fleece? Make sure it has nothing to do with whether or not it looks possible. Do something totally different just to see if God's speaking to you. But it always is usually tied to it. Well, if they call me and tell me I have the job and I get a raise and a new house, then I believe God's calling me there. <laughs> me too. Whether God's speaking or not has nothing to do with whether it lines up with your little system or not. And whether it adds up on your paper or not. If I hear one more time in my life, I'm going to throw up. 
somebody say, and I'm not angry with people, but I'm angry with the lie. Someone say, we believe God told us this or called us to this, but we can't afford that. You, my friend, have feared something other than God. And yet you expect to partake of harvest in that. I remember the first call I got. Jahan and I were living in married housing at Lee University. I've told this story before, and I hate telling my stories. I feel like it's so... Y'all tell me some stories this week. Call me and tell me some face stories so I can tell yours. <laughs> don't call and tell me you can't afford it stories. I don't want to hear those. We were living in married housing. Man, we were struggling. I was working at Chick-fil-A, 50-hour week on 40-hour pay. Car blew up, paid for car blew up within two months of being married. Jahan lost her scholarship because she got a C or a D on a class. We were living, our housing was based on our um, school, part of our school tuition. We didn't have another plan for housing. We just, I was just working for us to eat, you know. People brought us toilet paper to our house. I kid you not. People dropped off toilet paper at our house. And we walked out and toilet paper was on the front door and we did a little dance for toilet paper. Come on. <laughs> you ain't been poor if somebody ain't brought you toilet paper. Some of the things y'all take for granted the most. So we're like, what are we going to do? We got to move out of this apartment before the end of the month because we can't go to school here anymore and they won't just let us live here. And we couldn't afford it if we could. My job is in Cleveland. Nothing else is in Cleveland. My Chick-fil-A job, I worked at Chick-fil-A in high school. I'm sure I can come back here and get a job there. Not quite all the promises that we thought we were going to walk in, live in. Got a call from a pastor. Uh, we asked to meet with the pastor. Just loved his vision, Jahan's home church. Lovell Heights, Church of God. And uh, they had a brand new pastor. And we said, man, looks like we're going to be moving to Knoxville. So... We're going to come here and just serve the church, if you don't mind. You know, do you need anything? I'm, I've been a youth pastor and stuff, and no idea what they were going to do. He said, yeah, oh, yeah, we could use a youth pastor. And I don't know what they were doing at the time. Can't even remember. And, of course, he saw Jahan lead worship before, and he's like, we could definitely use her. That's what everybody says. That's what they said here when I try to come here. Is Jahan coming? Yeah, she's coming. (laughs) 
I'll never forget, he called us. We were loading the U-Haul. We didn't even know what we, we were going, I don't think. We were loading the U-Haul. We were going somewhere. <laughs> he said, man, we want to hire you guys. Hire? They're going to pay us something. <laughs> he said, I'm going to tell you what the elders decided and all this stuff. I said, no, don't. We got we to gotta see if this is what God's leading us to do. And I'm broke as a joke and ain't got a place to live. And if you tell me some number that makes me know it's going to help me afford it, then I'll jump on it. I said, don't tell me a number. We prayed about it, believed God sent us there. And then I called him. I said, can you tell me that number? <laughs> I need to know where we can live. We going to my parents' house or are we going to get an apartment? What are we doing? And it worked out there several years. And I remember when it, there was a time of transition. It's an awesome, awesome thing. John was pregnant, imagine that. <laughs> and um, we were at a New Year's Eve service, and the evangelist was Kevin Wallace. And he came up to John in the service at the end and said, with the birth of this baby is going to come a new season in ministry. All right? Sounds like one of those 2019s, you know. <laughs> cool thing is, I didn't really know this guy. My sister knew him a little more than me, but Elias was born on March 17th, St. Patty's Day. My sister came to the hospital that day and said, Hey, did Kevin Wallace get a hold of you? He called me today and wanted to talk to you and Jahan. So I'm like, that's crazy. This man don't know. He didn't know we were having a baby. Same man that said with the birth of this baby called the day the baby was born and asked us to come to Chattanooga and be doing ministry down there. So we go down and meet with them and uh, shared our vision for youth ministry. And I was struggling, man, because I knew it was a great opportunity, but I loved where we were and I loved the kids. And we had worked through a whole bunch of adversity. Jahan got fired from leading worship and... We stuck around, and the Lord blessed us anyways. No kidding. Got fired. She's been fired a couple of times from volunteer positions to lead worship. <laughs> I've only been fired once, and technically they said I resigned, so she's been fired more than me from leading worship. So. I'm just telling the truth. Man, I got to hurry. Um, but we went down there and met with him, and they were having a little service that night. And so we said, well, we're going to go out to eat, and we'll come back to the service tonight, you know. And he said, okay. So he got together with the elders and, and called us. We just got to the restaurant. He called us and said, can you come back before service and meet with the elders? And so I came back and meet with the elders, and they unanimously wanted to hire us. And so he pushed this little piece of paper across the table. And I put my hand on top of that piece of paper, and I pushed it back across the table. And I said, I know that piece of paper would make my decision for me, I'm sure. But I cannot look at that until I hear from God. And we went back home, and that, to this day, might be the hardest decision I've ever made in ministry. I laid in the floor for weeks, and I loved those kids. It's the first kids we'd ever spent that time with and grown that ministry and loved them and just really felt like God called us to. And so 
to move. And I called him and said, what's that number? <laughs> but multiple times. And that's not to pat me on the back. It's to say, man, I live in an area where I just pinch myself every day. To believe it's real. And the path to get there is a path of faith. I've said it before. If you get to the promise some other way than faith, the promise is no longer the promise. It changed to something else. You can see something that could be full fulfillment change to lack if you don't get there through faith. If you see it wrong, it is wrong. If you obtain it wrong, then it passes away. If you try to partake of the things of God through man's system, then it becomes man's system, and then man can take it away. It's a phony. It's a, it's a perverted harvest that can diminish and have lack. But if you get it through faith, then no one can take it from you. Can we just pretty much establish if God speaks it, you can't afford it? And make some bold steps. You'll never get where you've never been if you keep stopping where you always stop. The limitations you put on yourself, the limitations from your pros and cons, limitations from when you calculate it, all those limitations, you're never going to get to the place of fulfillment if you keep stopping when you think it's ran out on your paper. Not only did Gideon not put a fleece out that made it look like it was going to happen, when he walked forward, he had 32,000 people working with him. The Lord said, that's too many. If you win the war with that many, if you get victory, it won't be victory. He said that. If you get the promise of freedom... With that many people, it won't be the promise anymore. Because if y'all think y'all did it on your strength, then it won't be the promise anymore. Because then you'll be living in that place, thinking that you earned it. And then you'll go right back to thinking like man it's systems again. And you'll go right back to putting your confidence in the wrong things again. And you'll be subjected once again to conform thinking. But if I can get you to a place where you know and you walk by faith and I have to move on your behalf, then nobody can ever take that away from you again because I will never change and I will never lack and I will never back up. And if I can move on your behalf and you know it's me, then nothing on this planet can ever make you afraid again. So he windled them down to 10,000. You guys know the story. He windled them down to 300. Against the army that looked like locusts, innumerable, uncountable, 300. You guys know the story, man. They had, the Lord had instructed them what to do. And they made such a chaotic scene that God turned the armies against themselves and they won. And they knew God had moved on their behalf. I wanted to talk about Hebrews 11 today we don't have time for that this eternal waters got me in trouble and we're out of time 
Let's at least read just the first verse of it in a couple of translations. Hebrews 11. Now faith brings, this is the passion, now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Amplified, I already read it to you. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see in the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. New Living Translation. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. 1 Peter 1.13, so then prepare your hearts and minds for action. Stay alert and fix your hope firmly on the marvelous grace that is coming to you. Prepare your hearts and minds for action. You guys stand up with me this morning. Prayer team, would you come? Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.